0: You are listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. This is Michael Lichens, your faithful editor and host, here once more on a beautiful sunny but snowy April day in New Hampshire, but that's what you get in New Hampshire. And I have today with us Miss Jeannie Ewing, who should be familiar to many of you now. She publishes with us here at Catholic Exchange about twice a month and has been on this podcast before, as well as many national radio programs. Jeannie is a really great woman to know, and she has written two books. Navigating Deep Waters was the first one, and she has a new one coming out in just about a month from Sophia Institute Press, From Grief to Grace, The Journey from Tragedy to Triumph. And Jeannie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. How are you doing today?
1: Well, I'm doing pretty well, Michael. Thanks.
0: It's my pleasure to welcome you. And as I was telling our audience, you've recently written a book called From Grief to Grace The Journey from Tragedy to Triumph. I should let the audience know, just full disclosure, I am not biased. I'm not unbiased, I should say, <laughs> about this book. I'm very biased towards this book. I edited it, and Jeannie and I worked on it. She has written an amazing book here, and I Fully endorse it. So I just wanted to let everyone know. But Jeannie, can you tell us a little bit about what started this idea of writing about grief, grace, and how we move from triumph out of tragedy?
1: Well, a couple of years ago, when I really got into blogging and writing, Mm -hmm. um, a couple of my friends suggested independently of each other, you know, you really should write a book. And this was something that I kind of had on my heart for a while. But because I have no background in professional writing or editing, I really felt overwhelmed by the process of Mm -hmm. query letters and um, book proposals. I was like, I don't know how to do this. But I just just prayed about it. I took it to spiritual direction. It took me a very long time to have the courage to say, you know what, I'm ready. And one of my good friends who lives in Long Island, she co-authored the meditation journal with me. And she... (laughs) is very charismatic and i believe has a spiritual charism of prophecy but one day she called me out of the blue and said you know i was praying today and you came really strongly to my heart and the word grief kept coming to me and she said i really think that whatever book you're supposed to write has to do with grief and at first i was really kind of taken aback and i felt a little bit offended by that just because I'm really sensitive. And I was like, is she suggesting that my whole life is just sad and depressing? You know, that's really, that was my initial reaction. But being the melancholic that I am, I had to kind of retreat back into myself and take some time to think about this and process it. And over the course of maybe a week, it was like the Lord revealed to me all of these major incidents in my life since childhood that pointed the way To me, understanding what grief is and how to process and navigate that journey. So, you know, I just had these memories of things I had forgotten about, like my brother being diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder when he was a little boy, and then shortly thereafter with bipolar disorder, the addiction and alcoholism that has plagued both sides of my family. Just different memories, very specific ones that I thought, oh my gosh, yeah. And then I lost a good friend of mine to a drug overdose when uh, it was about six months after Ben and I were married. And he was was a friend of mine that was in our wedding. So I just kept looking back on these things. Of course, Sarah's birth was part of that because I've gotten to know a lot of people in the special needs community. And so Mm -hmm. I realized I think she's right about that. She actually suggested the title. From Grief to Grace. She said, I think that's what the name is. Yeah, she she told me that. So then what happened was I I said a prayer to Our Lady, and I said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Am I supposed to just pitch this to a publishing company? If so, who? Uh, I didn't know. And then you actually emailed me about a few days later after this prayer, the silent supplication, and you said, hey, Jeannie, have you ever thought of writing a book? And it was just very impeccable timing. So I was like... Yeah, why? And you said, I just remember what you wrote. You said something about, well, I just noticed that your articles on Catholic Exchange follow this theme, and that theme seems to really resonate with a lot of readers. So you were, the, you were kind of the impetus for me to actually put a book proposal together and send it to Sophia, which ah. I fully expected. You know, I'm like, this is probably, you know, this is my first time doing this. I may not get accepted. That's totally fine. I was ready for that. And I was very surprised pleasantly when, as a first-time author, I got a publishing contract with a really well-renowned publish- Catholic publishing company. It was God's hand. So as you, I hope people I'll can, see. you know, as they hear this, I hope they can hear that this was God's hand that started my journey and and uh, brought me to where I am now.
0: I think so, Wade. And I wish I could remember sending you that email. I do not. But (laughs) I tend to tell everyone, hey, write a book as if it's the easiest thing in the world. (laughs) No, it's not. No, it's not. Not at all. There's nothing easy about writing a book. But I don't know. Everyone always says you should write a book. And when I hear people who've been told that a while, it's like, well, I should tell them to write a book, too. Mm -hmm. Just throw it out there.
1: Well, and I also think that there are a lot of authors out there or potential authors that have a story in their heart. Yes, And since I've become a a published author, a lot of people have come up to me and said, oh my gosh, I really want to write a book, but I just, quote, don't have the time. That's what I hear all the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, I have two small children. They both have special needs. I don't have time either, but you make the time. And I know that sounds really cliched. And for some people, it might, you know, they might roll their eyes or something. But it's true. I mean, we have to prioritize what's important to us in our lives for anything. And for me, I just... I believed very much that this was what God wanted me to do, and I wanted to honor that, and I wanted to glorify him in that. And so I just really disciplined myself and put, you know, 10 minutes here, an hour there, whatever I could. And I had to make a lot of sacrifices, and I think people maybe glamorize or romanticize Book authors specifically. Oh my Mm -hmm. gosh, that's so awesome. But they don't realize the sacrifices you have to make. You can't do the things that you used to do. You maybe have to delay um, a social gathering or you can't go out with your friends like you used to. It's kind of a a lonely process and it's, it's tedious. It's you're all you're in your head a lot. And so I think this is kind of the backstory that people don't realize. But yet it is possible if they really truly feel a call or they just feel very strongly about writing, then people just need to sit down and do it and just discipline themselves to do it.
0: I agree. And it's something Walker Percy often said about writing is that it usually whatever he wrote for one hour took him two hours to recover from and it didn't leave time for socializing mm-hmm. or square dancing. So
1: mm-hmm. yes, yes, yes. That's a perfect <laughs> way of putting it.
0: Something I've really enjoyed about your book is you give us a, you mentioned already in this podcast, they have two children who have special needs, but you talk about them very extensively. You end Ben's uh, little epilogue at the very end. Can you tell us a little bit about your children and what you've learned from being able to raise them?
1: Well, Felicity and Sarah both have very different special needs. Mm -hmm. So Felicity is my oldest. She has an anxiety disorder and also sensory processing disorder. So her struggles are very much invisible. She looks like a typical kid. And I think when she acts out with people that aren't familiar with her, they don't understand why. Or they think maybe she's just misbehaving or she's being a brat. And, you know, it's not that as a parent I'm going to discount that possibility. Because I always have to take into account, all right, is this her temperament? Is it her age? Is it... Or is it something that she's trying to process and she just can't? She's overwhelmed, and sometimes it's a combination of those. So as a mom, that's something I've had to learn with Felicity's conditions. Sarah, the youngest, uh, she has a genetic condition called Apert syndrome, which you know, but I'll tell I'll tell the audience. So it's a craniofacial condition that fuses the skull bones, and it, there are a lot of medical terms. So it's called craniosynostosis, and it also prematurely fuses fingers and toes. And there are a lot of other issues like they have short arms, they might have fused bones elsewhere like in their jaw or their ear or their elbows. And they often have speech and hearing problems, vision problems, dermatological problems, cardiovascular, pulmonary, etc. So when Sarah was born, we had no clue what she had. And as soon as I found out that every bodily system potentially could be affected by her syndrome, I was like, I can't do this. I just wanted to lay on the ground and just Mm -hmm. give up. I think with Sarah, she is the one who really unknowingly pushed me to being who I was always meant to be, who God wanted me to be, because she's challenged me in very difficult parts of my temperament sarah has challenged me to overcome those or to at least face them and address them Mm -hmm. and i feel like i'm always being stretched every day being a mom of these two little girls and what's beautiful of the fact that they both have different problems and i don't want to i don't mean problems like they are a problem but they struggle with different things it's really neat to see their dynamic because they help each other So, you know, Sarah has this visible difference that all the world will always see. They will always look at her and immediately know, wow, something's a little different about her. But then Felicity has that cross of this suffering, this pain that nobody's going to really give her a pass because they think she should be able to do everything else that typical kids her age should do. So as they grow up together, as a mom, I look at them and I just see this beautiful dynamic and really like this tapestry that God has woven with our family. So I'm not sure if that answered your question, but oh. that's really where I am now in terms of how I've grown as a mom. at related to their special needs
0: no it absolutely does and i have to say they are very adorable kids and all the i know pictures on facebook are only presenting one very small few second reality <laughs> but they are both very adorable so.
1: in pictures yes, yes uh, <laughs> in theory yes
0: i understand uh, believe me i was told by my family i could not post pictures of my nephews crying because i was called cruel but uh, whatever <laughs>
1: But it's reality. Exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly. And one of the most memorable lines you mentioned, uh, Sarah, and what she's challenged you to become. I think the most memorable line from your book is you compared Sarah to the way that she did for you, what God did when he brought life out of nothingness, that he brought dark, light out of darkness. And that's how you mm. felt with Sarah. I don't know if you mm. remember writing that line. I know book writing's weird like that. But can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: I don't remember that specific line, but I do often write about something sim- similar to what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with Sarah, the world looks at people like her and they immediately think she's flawed or there's this these, de- these defects, these mm-hmm. perceived defects. Mm-hmm. Right. And that would be the darkness, so to speak, that the world projects onto people like Sarah. And that could be any kind of physical or emotional or psychological difference that people might have diagnosed or otherwise. But the thing, the truth of the matter is, because of Sarah's life, just by who she is. There's nothing she does that's really extraordinary. She has this very simple way about her that somehow grips people at the core. And I'm talking everywhere we go, my little extroverted Sarah. So this is another way she challenges me as a mom. This is a digression. But I'm naturally, you know, I'm naturally introverted and I would prefer to just keep to myself. But Sarah is not. She does not know a stranger. So we we go out to many doctor's appointments, which you can imagine. And of course, there are many people of all varieties sitting in the waiting room. So she goes up to all these strangers and I have to follow her because she's three. So I don't know if she's going to wander off or something. And she just talks to them. Hi. Hi. How are you? And they just immediately I can see it in their faces. If there's a burden, if there's something they're carrying, I can see it and it's lifted And then all of a sudden, they start talking to me as mom, and they talk about life and death, and sometimes, a lot of times, they talk about God and eternity, and (laughs) yes, and these are people I never have met, and I likely will never see again. So Sarah has this way about her, which is the light, Mm. right? So she appears, at first glance, to be broken in some way, but the gift of her brokenness, so to speak, the way the world sees it, is that she can reach people's souls. And they and she doesn't even know she's doing it. It's just a natural charisma that she carries. And everybody says so. I have conversations with people I never would have had in my life if Sarah had not been here.
0: Ah, That's amazing. And a lot of ways that touches on so many themes within your book. How Sarah's kind of this uh, little incarnation of so many themes within your book, not only about Mm -hmm. approaching people, but you talk a lot about how in many ways, the best thing about moving out of grief and moving out of whatever cross it is we're bearing and learning to find joy in it, we can help others with theirs. And that is really what we're called to do. I very very much enjoyed that. Uh, But before we go on, I want to just talk about a very big distinction that you made sure to make, which is very good. But you distinguish between grief and depression. Can you tell us what the difference is between those two?
1: Right. So I've done a little bit more detailed research about this, but Grief and depression often have characteristics that overlap. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what makes it at sometimes indistinguishable when a doctor is seeing a patient and thinks automatically depression, depression. And depression is called the common cold of mental illness for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's very common. And most of us at some point in our lives will have situational depression, if not the chronic major depressive disorder. But grief is, is always triggered by loss, whereas depression doesn't have to be. It might be, but it doesn't have to be. You know, you can have physiological symptoms of depression, but there are really no psychological reasons why you're feeling the way that you do. And with grief, there is. So that's, a, a, I guess, the first dis- distinction that I would make between grief and depression. Um, I would say that complicated grief much more mimics clinical diagnosable depression because it's a prolonged pattern of uh you know hopelessness and sometimes suicidal ideations mm-hmm. which obviously those are present in uh the criteria for depression as well and so this is like a prolonged uh, set of traits that a person just gets stuck in these patterns where they obsess about the person who died or whatever loss has happened, or they obsess about death in general, or they just get stuck where they're not able to move beyond that in a healthy way and kind of enter into the pain, but like move forward. And so that's where complicated grief, which is actually a diagnosis, can possibly be treated in the same way as major depressive disorder. So those are just a few things that I want people to be aware, though, that grief is very fluid, very complex, and it's multifaceted. So you might have uh, emotional quote, symptoms, not really, but you know, you might have some kind of emotional level of anger, but then underneath, it's really this sadness, or maybe there's an emptiness you're feeling or a loneliness. And you might be experiencing all of those simultaneously, which I know probably can happen in depression too. But with grief, it's specific to the loss.
0: Also, what triggers grief? Uh, well, you've talked about depression, but you take also great pains to tell us that Grief can be triggered by many things. What are some of the more common triggers of grief and why would it be so common in people?
1: Did you hear what you just said? I took great pains.
0: To oh my you. gosh, that is the worst. <laughs> I did not mean to say that. But.
1: You know what? My dad, my dad is like the biggest punster ever. And so I grew up listening for these little nuances that he would interject. And like nobody else would get it, but I don't know. I think it's funny. So, yeah. yes, I took great pains to talk about what could trigger grief. Well, I think the reason I did that, too, and I want listeners to know this and be very I want to be very clear about it, is mm. that most of us, especially in our modern society, we associate grief with death right. and death alone. And so grief is is extended much beyond just death. It could be a divorce, losing your house, losing a job, financial insecurity or bankruptcy or something. It could be chronic illness. It could be mental illness, substance abuse, abuse or neglect if you experience that as a child or as you know a spouse with domestic violence or something. Um, Miscarriage, abortion, infertility. So, I, I kind of touch on all of these things because I want people that are reading to think, oh, maybe that's why I have been experiencing what I experienced after I lost my baby or after my husband left me mm-hmm. or whatever, you know. So, I, I want people to realize that grief can be and is often present when there's any loss in our lives because change itself has the potential for something new, of course. But there's always loss as well in every change. So that's why I kind of touch base on all those different possibilities, which I know is not exhaustive. But those were just the ones, the major ones I could think of.
0: Very good. And uh, no, it's not exhaustive. But at the same time, it's good to know that, yes, you can feel grief. Uh, Probably one of the most profound feelings of grief I ever had. Was when I lost my job. And that compared to even like losing a loved one, it seems strange to compare the two. But no, actually, that losing a job is traumatic. Mm -hmm. You could Mm -hmm. suddenly, my electricity is being turned off and I'm trying to figure out where to get the money. It's like, no, that's stressful. It's traumatic. And I wouldn't wish it upon anybody ever. So,
1: exactly. But I think when things like that happen, like we lose a job and we might be feeling or experiencing the stages of grief or, or mm-hmm. um, the process of grief. We might brush it off more readily
0: exactly.
1: than if somebody had died. <laughs> you know, it's we might just say, gosh, I need to get over it. I need to pull myself out of it. But really, no, I think the best way to manage grief is to allow yourself to enter into the pain. Mm-hmm. And just y- you have to be journeying forward. You can't, like I said, you can't get stuck or regress, where you get stuck in this really dark, macabre place, you know, where you're sure. like, <laughs> you know, like people that really are obsessed with horror and death and skulls. And I'm like, okay, I, I get this. There's like a little bit of a sub- subculture there, but ah, uh, there might be some problems with that. <laughs> I mean, just really, that's not that's. I mean, there might be some underlying issue, and and of course that's the counselor in me that's talking. But I think that we need to allow ourselves to be sad or to be upset or to just feel like we're in a funk or be frustrated with something whether it's losing a job or really financial struggles are a big one too because we've had that problem since we've had sarah with all the medical bills Mm -hmm. and so there are lots of uh, lots of times where we we want to uh get upset with ourselves for feeling the way that we do and really we should just give ourselves permission at least for a time a short time and really uh, ponder what is going on inside of me? And how do I work through this spiritually? And possibly if I need to get help, how do I? How and where do I find that help?
0: Something you talked about that I'd love to hear a little bit more about is that you say grief and joy can actually coexist as counterintuitive as that might be. Can you tell us how on earth that looks? <sighs> That's hard to yes, articulate. I'm
1: sure. That's really hard. I mean, even when I was writing about this in the book, I was like, gosh, how do I explain this? Because, you know, I've experienced it. Mm-hmm. But... To put it into words doesn't really do it justice. But again, I can go back to Sarah. Yes. I often feel a chronic it's a subtle grief, but it's a chronic grief because every time, you know, I'm caring for Sarah, there's always in the back of my mind, oh, when's the next surgery? Oh, great, we have another doctor's appointment next week and I have to drive 3 hours away in a big city, which is stressful for me. Um there's always in the back of my mind, oh, am I doing what the therapist wanted me to do? Am I and it's always as I'm taking care of Sarah, but yet she might just giggle or something that, you know, silly. And then I just feel this, there's just this joy that almost, it doesn't erase the pain that's there. That's always there. But for a time, it almost at least allows the pain to recede and allows me to enjoy the moment and to really, to realize that it is possible for me to feel this pain, but yet also feel this supernatural joy, because it's not, it's not natural to me, at least. I am not a naturally joyful person as a melancholic. So anybody that's listening to this would know that I tend to be more of a pessimist. I tend to be a perfectionist. I tend to look at what's wrong rather rather than what's right. And so whenever um, I'm taking care of Sarah, and there are those moments where I talk to somebody and it's like, wow, that was a really profound conversation in five minutes, or a very fruitful conversation. There is joy present, so I guess I don't want to make the mistake of saying that it's a feeling necessarily, because I think we we assume that joy is a feeling, but it's a it's a virtue that's present that gives me strength and it coincides with I guess a renewed sense of hope. I don't know if any of that makes sense. Like I said. It's really hard to verbalize all of
0: this. oh no it is
1: but I think what I think what people I think what people need to realize is you can be suffering and maybe your cross will never really lighten in this life and that's a possibility we have to accept that too um, but yet th- we'll have moments maybe it'll be fleeting moments or maybe it'll be God will give us maybe a day or a week or something where there is this permeation of light. That, it, that just penetrates that darkness, and it uplifts us. It strengthens us. It gives us hope to keep moving forward instead of saying, I give up, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. So maybe that's a better way of saying it. I don't know, a more general way of saying it.
0: Very good. And finally, as we're wrapping up time, Jeannie, could you tell us if anyone wants to learn about you or to find out more about your book? Where can they go online?
1: Okay, so... The from grief to grace is on pre-order, mm-hmm. and you can get that on Sophia Institute's website or Amazon. It's an ebook and paperback. And then, if people want to know more about me and my writing and everything, they can go to. I have two websites. From grief to grace, that's number two. So from grief number two grace dot com is that's where I use. I use that as a platform to really reach people that are grieving and need additional resources. So that's that website. The other one that I use for whatever I want, but mainly about Sarah and encounters that we have with life, that's lovealonecreates.com. I'm also doing a promotional package right now. So if people pre-order from Grief to Grace, I have four downloads that I'm uh, giving away. That pertain to that same topic. So the first one is a digital copy of the meditation journal. Um, the second one is a short ebook called "Talking to Your Kids About Grief." Another one is a short little—it's um, not really a handout; it's a couple pages long, but it's seven mistakes people make when grieving. Mm. And what to do about them. And then I also made a little template to kind of teach people or kind of guide people on how to write a letter to somebody that's maybe dying or suffering because I think sometimes we don't know what to say to people when they're in pain. And we are uncomfortable with pain and suffering ourselves. So we often feel tongue tied. But I think you know, writing a letter and some people might say, I don't know how to do that. So I put together just some simple guidelines on how do you articulate your feelings in a letter. So those are four downloads I'm offering. I just need people to email me their receipt at genie.ewing07 at gmail.com and then I will send them. The four bonuses
0: oh that's awesome that's real that's a really cool deal i have to, to let you all know i had actually didn't know you were running that but that's awesome
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a new thing it's just it's been in the past like 10 days i've been working on oh, it so
0: wonderful and i'll put all those links up on catholicexchange.com. so anyone who's listening to us and you want to find that just go to catholicexchange.com. you'll find all the links down there And Jeannie writes regularly for Catholic Exchange as well. Her latest article was Five Ways to Move from Despair to Hope, which about 6,000 of you have read so far, so you shouldn't be familiar with it. But Jeannie's a frequent guest here. We always love hearing from her, and she really does have a lot of great wisdom, so I encourage you all to go to CatholicExchange.com or also her website, FromGriefToGrace.com or LoveAloneCreates.com. She's also available on Facebook, Twitter, and we'll put all those links up. Other than that, thank you, Jeannie, so much for joining us on the podcast and sharing a little bit of your wisdom with us.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Michael. I really enjoyed talking to you.
0: (laughs) It's our pleasure. Thank you so much. And that was once more Miss Jeannie Ewing here at CatholicExchange.com where you can go and find links to her books as well as her social media links and also read up on her articles which are well worth reading. Follow her on social media. You'll get pictures of her adorable children as well as some brilliant insights into your spiritual life. It's well worth following her, and I don't just say that as her editor. It's helped me tremendously. And to all of you who are listening, you can email me anytime at catholicexchange.com. That's editor at com. If there's any questions, if you have any prayer requests, please do let us know. That's what we're here for. And if you want to hear anything else on this podcast, or if there's someone you think we should interview, let me know. You can also reach us on our Facebook page. Just search Catholic Exchange on Facebook. We're right there. Tweet at us. However you want to contact, we'll get to you. Otherwise, I hope you all are having a wonderful week in this glorious Easter season. God love you, and have a wonderful week.